Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 351 recorded on the always spooky October 31st, 2021. Boogity, boogity, boogity. <laughs> so uh, we won't see any ghosts or anything in these issues, but no. uh, we will see some aliens. So that's, that's Halloween-y. That's a, that's a, that could be. That could be scary. It definitely has been scary in the last season of... Uh, American Horror Story. Right, right. Yeah, aliens Which could be Which had aliens. But they're not usually scary in Star Trek, so... Uh, no, no. And I wouldn't say these are scary. So no. today we're we're finishing off... Oh, uh, scary good. Well, these are scary good, yeah. Or scary bad. Not really. <laughs> so uh, these are the last of the Star Trek UK strips... Uh, that were printed in the annuals from uh, 72, 73, 79, and 78. Cool. So, grand oracle of all that is comic books. So, when we finish these books today, uh, is that it for the UK comics? Uh, it should be it, yeah. Wow. Another big old fat, fat check mark. Yeah, and it's kind of sad because with with this check mark, fairly new IDW stuff going forward is the only thing left. Is new yeah, comics the, coming up? Uh, new comics, yeah. or maybe things that are not you know in the past year or two that we haven't gotten right. to yet. Yeah, that we just haven't got to yet. Which right. which isn't much. So, yeah, basically, if it's if it's brand new, then we'll be reviewing it. Otherwise, we're kind of done. Wow. with all the backlogs, the quest. The quest for reading is almost done, and I'm going to kind of miss it because some of these some of these books have been really good. Some of them have been really bad, but they're still kind of fun because I get to read them with you. So there you go. I feel and we get to talk about it, and with we everyone. have tons of people listening. So it's been fun. Tons. Oh, what a great right. ambiguous term "tons" is. Yeah, right. Because I'm not going to be anything. Everybody. It <laughs> could be many things. Could be a couple. Could be ten. You don't know. Okay. So, anyways, so yeah, so. Uh, well, yeah, the good so thing we- is there's lots of other things in the comic book world to continue reading. So, right. Even though Star Trek might be done. Yeah, and I'm hoping that, uh, you know, IDW starts cranking out some Prodigy, more Discovery, uh-huh. and Lower Decks, and Enterprise. You know, yes. start, start giving me some of those comic book miniseries. Cool. That'd be good. Um, I know this will be published way after when we're recording this, but we just saw Prodigy. We just spoke a little bit about it before we started the recording, and it's pretty good, I think. I like yep. it. Yep. No, I'm a big fan of uh, Star Wars Rebels and Star Wars Clone Wars, <laughs> and this fits right in there. It's, it's the same visual aesthetic. It's the same... Same type of story, so I, I'm I'm good. Ooh, I really like. Right, it, it is kind of Star Warsy, as you termed it. Right, which is yeah. fine, 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 fine. 
I mean, so the, my, the animated Star Wars uh, series, I think, has done well, and they're they're good mostly. I mean, right? You know, uh, what what bad bunch is that? Right? A uh, bad batch. Bad batch. Yeah. Bad batch. I've seen a few episodes of Bad Batch this past year. Was pretty good. Right. Yep. So, you know, obviously, I think that's that's the aesthetic they're going for, which mm-hmm. which I kind of dug. Uh, my wife, who's also a pretty big Star Trek fan, uh, really did not like. She she was kind of upset that it wasn't Star Trek; it was Star Wars. Well, okay, it's obviously Star Trek, also, even though it might borrow some things, right, from I, Star Wars animation. It's obviously Star Trek. Yeah. So well, I, I, it definitely it it leans into Kelvin Star Trek. That that type of Star Trek mm-hmm. uh, story action packed, right? And even the music and stuff, I was like, man, this is very uh, Kelviny type music oh. uh, as opposed to traditional Star Trek music, right? But again, I'm not complaining because I liked it, but she did not. She is it, it too much like Star Wars? Isn't Kurtzman still an executive producer on this or something? Yeah, he is. Okay, well, you're gonna get that then, right? So, so anyway, so yeah, I. I We've only seen the first uh, episode, and it was good, so I'm looking forward to more. Yeah. And I'm hoping IDW will give us something. I mean, they never gave us a Lower Decks anything, but uh, but they did do Discovery pretty quick, so maybe they'll do this one pretty quick, too. Yeah, hope so. And, and IDW does actually do the Star Wars um, series that are aimed towards kids. Mm-hmm. So uh, Marvel, you know. And Disney have basically, you know, they they do Marvel does the Star Wars for, you know, the big kids, mm-hmm. and then anything that's kind of aimed at littler kids, like the ones based on the Clone Wars, the the they have a new High Republic series and stuff like that. They actually give to IDW and IDW prints it. So it's kind of weird that Marvel, who you know is owned by Disney, who owns Star Wars, is is giving it to another company uh, to make Star Wars books. But you know, oh well. And they're good, so I'm hoping that you know, since they kind of already have the mentality of doing that type of comic book, then mm-hmm. hopefully Prodigy will fill that itch as well, and and then and then we can have Prodigy books in the same vein as the Clone Wars books and things like that. Oh, cool! That'd be good. I mean, especially oh. was it ten episodes of Prodigy? How many? How many are on the slate for season one? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. Not not very many. It's probably not many. Yeah. So well, that'll all, only all the CBS All Access. Uh, Paramount Plus series that seem to be kind of short. Right. Which is probably good, because, I mean, tell the story you're wanting to tell, and then you can get out of there, you know? <laughs> we don't need a lot of filler episodes. Exactly. Let, let, let's not have 23 episodes that forces uh, way too much low-quality stuff into the mix. Right. Right. Okay. Shall we begin? Yeah, so today we're doing four... I want to say four issues, but they're really not issues. Some of them are only like five pages long. So there's uh, these are four stories that were printed in uh, various annuals there in the in the UK. So uh, so I got the first one. You want me to just jump straight into it? Please do. All right. So this one is called the Zodan Sacrifice. Uh, it came out in the TV Twenty One Annual, nineteen seventy two which I guess had a publication date of April 1971. 
and it has since been reprinted in the IDW Classic UK Comics Omnibus Volume 3. And to my knowledge, I don't know who the artist or the author is of this little story. All right, so it starts with the Enterprise being attacked by a much, much smaller craft. Uh, they, they, being the Enterprise, quickly disabled small ship and beam over the six crewmen. Uh, once the, the aliens are in custody, the Zodans state that they attacked the Enterprise, knowing that they would not win, but because they did not have enough fuel to leave the planet, and it somehow made more sense to get captured than ask for help. They say that their whole crew were killed on the planet by monsters, and that they that is the reason why they left. Uh, so not to let a mystery lay unexplored, Kirk and Spock take a shuttle to the service. Once they're close enough to the ground, they see that uh, there is a, actually a giant kaiju creature um, wrecking, uh, running amok. And it actually hits the shuttle and they crash on the planet. Uh, just as the creature is about to stomp on them for good, another shuttle shows up out of nowhere and smashes straight into the kaiju, allowing Kirk to get a shuttle back up and away from the planet. We find out that the second shuttle was actually piloted by the Zodanians, who convinced the Enterprise crew that they would rather die on the planet after all than stay locked up on the brig. The end. Boy, don't blink or you'll miss that story. Yeah, it was a quick one. It's a quick one. Very quick one. But we get giant kaiju, so, you know, it's all good. <laughs> Makes up for it. It kind of looks a little bit like a triceratops, a little bit. Right. Just huge. Really big. Really Even bigger than, isn't that even bigger than what the triceratops were? It's big. Yeah, because the shuttle fits into this thing's mouth. Yeah. It's bigger than anything was. So that's huge. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's fine. It's, 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 it's a little bite-sized story. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense at all. I mean, why, why'd they attack the Enterprise just to break free of the orbit? They could have just, you know, called them and asked for help. SOS, baby. You know, like, hey, we're trying to leave. Can you uh, tractor beam us out a little bit? So these are bad guys, right? I mean, these 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 are an enemy of the Federation, right? These Zodia whatever? Zodia, Zodians or whatever? Zodians? Uh, not that I know of. Are they? I don't recognize them, and I don't recognize that ship. Um, okay, so at the very beginning it says, this is like the lead into it. Uh, so, so they're, they're at planet Korak to investigate oh. intelligence reports of Zodian activity. Right. Right. So yeah. I don't know. So, uh, so they do they... know who they are. Yeah. They're there looking for them directly. Right. Mm. And investigate intelligence reports. It makes it sound like it's, uh, they're somewhat of concern. Right. So. If they are enemies of the Federation, then maybe that makes more sense that they attack, but come on. What? Right. Anyway, whatever. I do like that their ship looks like a, uh, has like oh a giant, god. like, planetarium ball on the oh front. Oh my god. <laughs> and then, like, a uh, weird, like, 
ha- that has both uh, rocket engines on the very end, but also two nacelles yeah. and a big giant radar dish. And lots of Zs all over it. So there's Zs on the nacelle and a Z right at the front of the dome. <laughs> so that you know these are Zodanians. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> so... Yeah. So when you look at it, they're all all the different sections are different colors and stuff. Like the forward uh, ball, uh, which is kind of like the Discovery in 2001: Space Odyssey, is pink. Well, no. In one well, panel, it it's pink. On the <laughs> in one panel, it's pink, and another panel, it's green. And then another panel, it's yellow. And another panel, it's yellow. I oh mean, blue. God. So it changes blue? every. every oh time my you god! See it. Really? Yeah. I didn't notice that much. But, okay, so it, it, in the second picture you see it, which is, you know, a decent shot of it. Uh, you see it a little bit from behind. But it's three distinct colors, if you don't count right. the, uh, the radar dish. So it's green in the back. It's yellow in the middle. The thorax is yellow. And then the head is pink. Pink. And, yep. and the different pieces don't really look like they go together very well. So it reminded me of, like, some Lego thing you'd put together when you were a kid. And you just mix and match. Mix and match what you've got and just kind of <laughs> clump it together. Maybe that's how they, they do it. Yeah. So the front ball, the top antenna, and the back with the, with the rocket engines sticking out the back, that all kind of reminds me of a chop-down Discovery uh, from 2000. And one is a space odyssey. Um, And then the other parts are like, who knows where. So the two guns are like outboard nacelles, they look like. So are those guns, or I thought they were nacelles? Well, I mean, I see that the missiles came out of them, too. Oh, are those missiles? Did they call those missiles? Uh, It it doesn't quite look like a beam, but... uh, Yeah, they just say armor. I don't know. I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, it's kind of kludgy, but that's fine. Whatever. Uh, what else is there to say? What do you think about the Enterprise? It looks like it's made out of a bunch of hypodermic needles. <laughs> well, okay. Take three hypodermic so like I... needles and put a pie plate on it, and you got yourself an Enterprise. Yeah. Well, it like we texted at one point when we were reading these... Um... I just commented because definitely it looks like it's got nacelle nipples, but really sharp, long ones that do look like needles. And then, to your point, Donovan, uh, the deflector dish in the front has a really long needle again coming out of it. So, yes, very needly. Very pointy. Which completely reminded me of Nurse Diesel. From high anxiety, of which I sent you a photo, and you were aghast. I was. <laughs> so I'm not going to go any further with it. I'm just going to say anybody that is old enough to remember high anxiety, a Mel Brooks comedy, and the character Nurse Diesel, you will know what I'm talking about. <laughs> All right. Anything else? <laughs> uh, I wish I had more to say. Uh, oh, I have one more last thing to say. Sure. Uh, so that kaiju right. just looked like a big, slow, stupid critter. I mean, the whole time, its eyes are like wide open, like it's dull and vacant. <laughs> it's like it has a dull and vacant mind. 
but it was still able to uh, swap the shuttle out of the air uh, that, that Kirk and Spock were piloting. It's right. like, I, I thought, oh my God. Yeah, it has big fish eyes. Yeah, it's big, dim fish eyes. And there were supposed to be like some clouds or something that they came out of, but come on. You're going to come out that close to the, to, the, to the ground and to that particular kaiju? It's like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> oh, I wanted to mention the comic cover. Oh, okay. Because I was, you know, a lot of these are a, a, a collect, these uh, TB21 things are a, a collection of, of comics, four of them, five of them, who knows how many. I guess it might vary from issue to issue. Um, and this particular cover, I just wanted to mention because this is, they're showing that they got a Spider-Man story in here, which was like, cool, Spider-Man was popular. Okay, fine. But then they got the Silver Surfer. It's like, oh, the Silver Surfer. Now, Silver Surfer was popular too, but not like Spider-Man. But, uh, so it was interesting they included two uh, comic book stories, uh, you know, American comic book stories in here. This is a mm-hmm. UK thing. And then uh, Land of the Giants, which is another 1960s TV show. Um, and then The Ringo Kid, which I assume... Is that an original thing or was it a TV, TV show? show. I'm was assuming it? it's a TV show. It sounds okay. familiar. Okay. And then Star Trek. So, uh, And of course, the poorly drawn Enterprise is in the middle <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, of the cover. And then they got the four quadrants with which those other sto- which those with those other stories that I just mentioned. Right. That's it. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah, it's cool to go back and look at some of these covers. Yeah. Some of them look really good, and then some of them, like this one, uh, don't don't do Star Trek very much mm. justice. No. No. Although Spider Man doesn't look very good there either. No. <laughs> uh, Silver Surfer just looks okay. Yeah, it's hard to mess them up. Naked guy with silver paint? Check. <laughs> on a board. <laughs> on a flat board. Yeah. Land of the Giants. Yeah, it's fine. So that, uh, I guess that's the captain of the uh, space plane. And then uh, one of the passengers uh, was a, I guess that's supposed to be the passenger guy that was blondish. So. Yeah, I really okay. don't know that show at all. You you were telling me about it when we read one of the gold keys or something, because... They were they were in a uh, an ad or something. No, no, no. It was the Star Trek crew went to a planet of giants and they were walking around a house. That no, oh. I guess it was it was another UK okay. one that uh, they were walking around and got vacuumed up and stuff like that. And, <laughs> and then you were telling me it was like Land of Giants, and I was like, uh, it's the first time I've ever heard of it. Yeah, well, it wasn't good. Uh, I I have never seen it. I've never seen it in reruns. Maybe it was in reruns, like early, after it was canceled. But it just wasn't that good a show. Mm. Uh, I think that was another Irwin Allen treat. Irwin Allen did Lost in Space? Uh, Yeah, he did Lost in Space. He did Land of the Giants. He did um, Voyage of the Bottom of the Sea. Um, And then... Is that the same guy that did all those uh, disaster movies in the seventies? Earthquake and I always wondered if that was a, it was the same Inferno guy. Towering like that. Inferno—that's another one. Was that was that the same guy? Hmm. 
I don't know. I'll look it up right. while you're synopticizing the next issue. Okay, sounds good. Okay, let's move on. All right, sounds good. So, uh, so this is the next year, uh, 1970, 1973, uh, TV21 annual. Um, and this one has two stories, right? Uh, yeah, two stories. Uh, right, two, two, two Star Trek stories. Now, looking at the cover quickly, um, it shows four quadrants. One is Star Trek, and again, the Enterprise looks like horse manure. Um, and then they got another one, which is the secret of Volcano Island. And then another one that's exploring the deep and then another is mystery of Mars, Marsden Manor. Okay. Whatever. The story, which is titled planet of the dead. And like Donovan, I don't have no idea who created it, uh, writer or artist. The enterprise is on its way to the planet Selkie in the Zeta Centaur system to deliver a science and technical team to assess that planet's prospects for colonization. Professor Richard Spellman, who is the leader of the expedition, tells Captain Kirk, long-range probes indicate almost Earth-like conditions on Selkie. Yay. They reach the planet and dispatch one shuttle to ferry down the research team. Captain Kirk, Mr. Spock, and Dr. McCoy is along with them. They spot what appears to be a dead city and decide to land the shuttle on its outskirts. After a short look around, they come to the conclusion that there was a humanoid civilization at one time, but something killed them off. They finally find eight dried-up corpses of what looks like a cross between a toad and a human. They also find small furry oval creatures that appear to be friendly towards the human visitors. Dr. McCoy takes to one of them, which he names Bevo. Bevo and one of the mummified toadmen are brought back to the ship for further analysis. McCoy works in his lab on the ship with his new best buddy Bevo, who is frequently on McCoy's arm and shoulder looking for attention from the good doctor. Or so it appears attention is all that Bevo wants. Finally, that evening, McCoy feels tired and turns in again with his new best buddy, Bevo. Meanwhile, in storage locker B, the Toad Man's body is slowly reconstituting itself as the consciousness inside begins to awaken. <laughs> the next morning... McCoy, in his favorite PJs, wakes up more tired than when he went to sleep. Kirk hears about it and takes Spock and Uhura to visit the good doctor. McCoy says he is fine, just tired. Uhura decides to take care of Bevo while McCoy is convalescing. The Toad Man, now fully reconstituted, breaks out of storage locker B while Kirk, Spock, and Uhura just happen to be walking past. Kirk and Spock subdue the creature with a phaser, but not before it knocks Spock to the ground violently. Kirk orders it to be put back in the locker with an armed guard on it from now on. Kirk decides to go back to Selkie via shuttle and take Spock and the sleepy Dr. McCoy with him. On their way to the research team's building in the center of the city ruins, they are attacked by more reconstituted toad men that are even bigger than the one who attacked them on the Enterprise. 
Spock fires on them while Kirk helps McCoy into the research team's uh, building. All three are inside the building when they see the entire research team is on the ground and close to unconsciousness. Professor Spellman says they all seem to be stricken with a virus. Another member of the research team observes that the Toadmen are getting stronger as the research term gets weaker. Kirk and Spock exit the building with uh, the phaser set to kill and takes down all the Toadmen in the area. Though they killed the creatures, Kirk wonders how long it will be before they are up and attacking. Kirk contacts Scotty to send down the big shuttle, but changes his mind when he heard Scotty's report. The Toad Man came to life again and rampaged through the ship, destroying some of the control panels and six crewmen. Until repairs can be completed, they won't be able to send down a shuttle until the morning. Scotty also reports Ohura came down with the same symptoms as Dr. McCoy. Kirk thinks he figures out what is happening and gives Scotty specific instructions. After closing the channel with Scotty, Kirk tells Spock they are going to gather all the Bevo-like creatures up in a box and get them away from the research team. By morning, Kirk expects the Toadmen will be back to dried-out corpses and the research team and McCoy should be back to normal. The next day, the Toadmen are all shriveled up and dormant on the planet and on the ship. Kirk explained that the Bevos were the key. They drew the life force out of living beings and somehow transferred the energy to the Toadmen, cutting off the Bevos from living beings and you cut off the food supply from the Toadmen. Kirk thanks the researchers and crew for adding to humanity's store of knowledge. The end. That was a good one. That was a good one. Mm, Well, there was a mystery there, wasn't there? Yeah, that was us like, come on, don't be so stupid. You know it's the little slug. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you acting like it's not the slug? Exactly. And they do kind of look like slugs. But come on, people are not going to be friendly towards slugs. That's just not Mm going to happen. So, um, I was curious about the whole Bevo thing. Yeah. Okay. I only know of... Yeah, the name. Because uh, the university at Texas, its mascot is is Bevo, which is a a, a big, uh, a big longhorn. Uh, you mean a steer? Yeah, but a longhorn steer. So it's like, oh, you know, they're the Texas Longhorns. Oh, okay. The mascot's name is Bevo. Okay. And that's the only, that's the only reference I ever knew of the word Bevo. So I had to look it up, and there's a non-alcoholic beer that came out in like 1970, <laughs> 1917s. <laughs> but I doubt that, you know, that's I the doubt source. That this UK strip would be named after that. So did they just coincidentally come up with? The name Bevo seemed weird. Uh, I assume it was just like some little, I don't know, some slang term of endearment or something. Like, I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a dog name that would be like that. <laughs> um, and it's not coming to mind. And that's what I just assumed it was. Or it was right. some, some wacky UK reference. Who knows? Right. 
Well, I tried to look it up to see if it could reference anything else. Why McCoy just suddenly came up with it, and then right. but then I thought, well, you know, he's a he's a southerner, and maybe uh, maybe you know, there in the UK they looked up southern schools, and it was like, oh, <laughs> University of Texas, it, it's Bevo. Okay, we'll just use Bevo. Oh, that's I don't funny. Know. I don't know. See, weird. <laughs> but that's all I was thinking the whole time. <laughs> right. Okay. But uh, but yeah, so. But then I thought it was funny that uh, – then I thought, well, maybe, you know, at the beginning, I thought, well, maybe this is going to be like a trouble with triples type yeah. thing because they're so stupid. They're like, I want to keep this as a pet. Right. And I'm like, it didn't work out well last time. No. It, it completely felt like a triple ripoff at first. Right. Which is – But then they went with a vampire type <laughs> thing, transferring the energy somehow through the slug into the frog net. Exactly. Over distance. Right. Through the air, through the ether, somehow the life force was transmitted. Now, what kind of, assuming this is an evolutionary thing, that that these little little guys are somehow tied to these humanoid things? Uh, how the heck did that happen? Or was yeah, it a know. product of some kind of uh, technical meddling? I don't know. It was a bioweapon of some sort. It's a bioweapon. Hmm. They just drop those slugs onto the planet. Sucks up all their energy. Yeah. Because they're too stupid. They're like, oh, I got a new pet. I don't know why I'm so sick. <laughs> <laughs> so um, when I fir- was first looking at this and saying, okay, this is just a triple rope off. Um, and then it's like, oh, well, actually triples was accused of being a rip off too. Um, I think there was actually a little lawsuit. Oh, really? Um, yeah. So Robert Heinlein's, uh, he did a novel called The Rolling Stones. And oddly enough, <laughs> I wonder if the band sued him. I don't know. Um, and in it, they've got these things called flat cats, which are actually like, Little little tribbles with three eyes, so you can actually see the eyes, or at least they're described as having three eyes. Um, but they're tribbles; they're basically tribbles. But they call them flat cats, and they're born pregnant. I never read the novel, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh. <clears throat> yeah. So here's a little here's a little snippet from it. Angelo tickled it with a forefinger. It began to purr like a high pitched buzzer. It had no discernible features, being merely a pie-shaped mass of sleek red fur, a little darker than Castro's own hair. They're affectionate little things, and many of the sand rats keep them for pets. Uh, A man has to have someone to talk to when he's out prospecting, and a flat cat is better than a wife because it can't talk back. (laughs) You can tell what time period this was. It just purrs and snuggles up to you. So there's a little little snippet. I think uh, I would definitely want to cuddle up with a flat cat more than these slugs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are they supposed to be furry? Because they, look, they, they don't look furry. Look furry. Well, Do they I don't look furry? Know. Okay. Depends on when you look at them. Yeah. I mean, they really look like slugs. Right. They look like, like black ink slugs. Or exactly. Like they're made out of venom symbiote type stuff. Exactly. Now, would I really want that on my shoulder? No, I don't think so. 
So, anyways, the frogmen looked cool. I thought. Uh, they they looked they looked threatening for being frogmen or toadmen. They call yeah. them toadmen. But, uh... There you go. Yeah, they don't look like toads at all. <laughs> <laughs> they do call it that, though. I get maybe they look different when they're all dried up and dead because they don't really show them when they're dead very well. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did like how there was a ton of action just off screen, like Spock's just told about it, or when they try to call in the the big shuttle, they're just like, "Oh, by the way, the the ship's been half destroyed." You know, we're like, oh, I would have liked to have seen that part. <laughs> yeah, because right, at too. first Scotty just I mean... like, I can't, I can't send it right now. And I'm like, well, that seems weird. And then he's like, he describes a big, big battle and stuff. And you're just like, that was weird to sh- just tell us and not show us. Well, they got to keep it short. Yeah, they got to so. work within a budget. And really, how, what kind of damage is going to, but, but one creature, one creature can do enough damage to shut down the shuttle bay. Right. Very odd. Yes, it was bad. Six injured so. men, a wrecked control panel to repair. The toad thing came alive again and went on a rampage. Mm. Yeah, that sounds like a good movie. That sounds like Alien. <sighs> Only with a toad man. Right, right, right. Okay, so maybe we're going to have to tweak this a little bit before we make the movie. What do you think, guys? <laughs> Something other than toad man. Um, I noticed when one of the shuttles left the Enterprise... Um, I just want to comment that the shuttle looked, eh, it looked okay. Um, but coming out of the bottom front of it is an additional landing leg. I thought that was a metal detector. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Oh, that's it. It's a metal detector. Yeah. So that foot that comes out of the back, the, the bottom back of, uh, the Galileo 7 for landing, um, they got one of those in the front, too, mm. in this drawing. And you can kind of see the one in the back, also. But you yeah, shouldn't be so. able... From that angle, you shouldn't be able to see it. But you can, and then they've got an extra one coming out the front. So there's two landing gears. Yeah, it looks like they actually have three. So they have oh, two three? on the nacelles, and then one right in the middle in the front. Oh, is that what they did? Yeah. Oh, okay. So in the real... In the real shuttle, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, there's there's some kind of pad in the front on the nacelles, but they put it in the back. Okay, whatever. Creativity. The, the phasers right. lo- were halfway decently drawn in most panels, so that, that was good. When they're blasting the frogmen? When they're blasting the frogmen. Oh, oh, you're saying the phasers themselves, not the hand not phasers. The gotcha. That, that Spock and, and Kirk are wielding. Right. Look decent. You would think that they would have had enough material to, to make it look pretty good at this time. Yeah, you think. Oh, I see. Okay, so I'm looking at a different picture of or drawing of the shuttlecraft, and I completely see what you're saying. You can see it very clearly. Oh, the three legs? Uh, exactly, right. Right. Yep, the, the, the two landing gear on the back of the nacelles. And then the one in the front. 
which is definitely not canon with uh, the TV series. But okay. Right. All right. Then my last comment is: um, How did they know putting them in a metal box would somehow disconnect the uh, energy from the worm to the frogman? I think the idea was to get it away from people. Right. But as soon as they put them in a metal box, the frogman died. Well, they ran out of power. So right. the Bebos were away from the food source, which were the people. Oh, you think that's and what it was? That's what I thought. That's the way I took it. Oh, okay. I, I don't okay. know. I'm just making stuff up. <laughs> and then the, then the frogman ran out of power. Oh, I, thought, I thought by putting it, it in the metal, it disconnected the, so the power couldn't transfer anymore. Oh, I guess I guess both could be accurate, right? But being away from people in the box, they 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 can't get any new energy. I thought that's true. That's true. So maybe it's both. Maybe so. I it's both. I uh, in a little follow up, I did look up uh, your guy, Irving. Uh, what's his face? Irwin oh, uh, Irwin Allen. Oh, Irwin Allen. Allen. Kirshner. <laughs> different guy exactly uh so yeah you 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 nailed it he uh was a producer of uh those tv shows voyage of the bottom of the sea time tunnel land of giants lost in space and he also uh directed the disaster movies oh. side adventure and towering of okay that's all the same it's pretty good how your brain works uh well uh because i formed those memories when i was young I'm not as good as forming memories anymore. But, <laughs> or, or keeping them around for such long periods of time, anyway. Okay, I have one last thing to say about this one, okay. which is a typo. Ooh, a typo. A typo. So I just, just thought I'd mention it. Second to last page. Um, it seems like maybe the word am is missing. Am. So here's what the word balloon says. I going to contact Scotty <laughs> and get him to send down the big shuttle craft right away. Sounds like a, what, a pack lid? Or, <laughs> Sounds like Tarzan. <laughs> Could be Tarzan. Okay. That's funny. Okay. That's it. Yeah, and this was the one that uh, I was kind of talking to you about earlier, is that all the word balloons, all the characters refer <laughs> to him as Jim Kirk. Not oh, okay. Captain yeah. Kirk, not James Kirk. It's all Jim Kirk. Hmm. And it kind that of bothered a... me because I was just like, you know, you're not his friend. He, that, only his friends call him Jim. Oh, you want the professor guy? Yeah, or the everybody? professor. And even in all the little word balloons, it always refers to him as Jim Kirk. Okay. Jim does this. Jim does that. I'm like, that's Captain Kirk to you, word balloon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyways. Okay. Just it was just kind of funny, and uh, according to uh, Memory Alpha, the writer was Jack Stutter, and the uh, artist was Jim Bakey. Oh boy! Okay, so you are able to look these up. Good. Well, good research. Some of them are on Memory Beta, and some of them aren't. Okay. Cool. These these same two people are happen to do the next one, which is uh, was also in the same annual. So. What? This thing called Spock? Yeah, this... What? Is this thing called Spock? Okay. Yeah. Which I really don't understand the title. Because it has nothing to do with the show. <laughs> Any of the story? Right. Yeah. All right. Well, you have anything else, or can we just jump straight into it? Let's jump into it. 
All right. So as mentioned, same volume, uh, same annual. Uh, it's also in UK strips, uh, volume three by IDW, Omnibus. Um, so there's no cover. Uh, so it starts on the planet Tarragon, and the poop has really hit the fan. As the planet is rocked by volcanoes and other disasters, uh, including like riots in the streets and things like that, the governor calls for help, and the Enterprise swoops in to save the day. Kirk and Spock beam down and are told about the colonists uh, seeming to be taken over by an unknown force and then rioting throughout the colony. Uh, Spock and Kirk separate and head out to find the source of this telepathic power. Later, Spock sees a creature and is engulfed by it. Uh, Kirk hears this and he runs to help only to find Spock, who is uh, silently just sitting there. And then he suddenly twirls around and he fires his phaser at Kirk. Kirk dodges, but then he's also attacked by four other Spocks. And all of these Spocks seem very intent on blasting him every time he moves. So this causes Kirk to speculate that perhaps they're only attracted by sound and they cannot actually see him. Later, Kirk beams to the Enterprise to discover Spock's already there and he's in the ship's library doing some studying. Uh, this Spock states that he is indeed the real McCoy, pun not intended, and uh, he knows all about the duplicate Spocks and even says that they cannot see, read, or speak. Spock speculates that the duplicates are created by the feelings and actions that it sees when it engulfs another person. So, like normal, when a giant brain creature attack somebody, most people, including Spock, pull out their weapons and try to defend themselves. So that's what the creature duplicates, is somebody pulling out a weapon and having some hostile intentions. And that's why all the duplicates started attacking the other people, causing confusion, and then mass riots. So, Kirk and, then, um, Kirk and Spock return to the surface... This time when the creature approaches Spock, he sets down and he peacefully writes out a message in English. And so through this, the creature is somehow able to understand English, and now it's able to communicate with everybody telepathically in English. Uh, so they make a pact that the enormous creature will live under the surface of the planet as it always has. And... Um, the colony leader says that the colonists will protect the life form. In exchange, the creature will duplicate equipment and things for them in the future. And then as the Enterprise is leaving the planet, there's a little joke where Kirk says that he knows where to go the next time they need spare ship parts in the future. And Spock points out that uh, all, the all the duplicates will be flawed in some way. And, and that's somehow a joke. <laughs> the end. Yawn. I really did not get that joke. Especially since the colonists are going to be reliant on some of these duplicated parts, parts and stuff. Yeah. It seemed weird to have that last little bit in there. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> Spock's saying, I mean, the duplicate Spock's were flawed. So. Right. I get that, but then, but, but why, why make it a 
part of the deal that uh, new buildings and equipment will be created by the duplication. And then in the next panel, Spock saying that they're all going to be flawed. Yeah. Well, I mean, good observation, Spock. <laughs> Maybe You're you probably right. The, you should have said that earlier. That before you took off. <laughs> okay, so of course this is a reworking of what Taw's episode? Uh, the in it, the mirror one. The the no, I don't know what episode you're talking about. Devil in the Dark. This is obviously a reworking of Devil in the Dark, but instead of a Horta. A silicon-based life form that burrows in the ground. We've got a cloud creature. Right. There are a lot of similarities. Sure. So but I mean, but nobody's duplicated in in the Horta episode. No, but what? So they did in the end. The cre- they 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 understood the creature. Right. They were able to communicate with the creature, and the Horta was able to help the miners because they would leave these tunnels behind that they could use to gather the silicon, well, not silicon nodules, but other things. Right, uh, right. Other materials. So there was a beneficial symbiotic thing that could be uh, come to uh, once they understood each other. So in the same way, this is ending with them finally understanding each other and there being a symbiotic relationship and... Uh, Bravo to understand the unknown rather than just shooting it. Right. That's what I got out of it. But no, it was no, a weak no, story. Totally right. Weak story. Yawn. Boring. Yeah, it just seemed weird that to have all the duplicates shooting at uh, Kirk with, with working phasers. <laughs> well, and the phasers then, worked. And then Kirk's like, if I just be really still, they can't see me. How do you figure that out? It looks like he fell over, and then because he didn't get up fast enough, they didn't shoot him because they couldn't see him. Right. He's on the ground doing push-ups. Seemed a lot like Jurassic Park, which I know wasn't out at this time. So Mm. (laughs) kudos for them coming up with that first. (laughs) Right. So when I first read this was the planet Tarragon, I was saying, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that a spice? And uh, yeah, Tarragon leaves. That's That's... That's a cooking spice. Hmm. Not that they really, you know. Maybe that, maybe that's what they're mining. Deal, but mining the they're mining the tarragon leaves. It's a plant. <laughs> it's a plant thing. Yeah, I don't have anything else to say. I... <laughs> Do you have something to say? I really don't. No, no. I just thought it was kind of silly that the they kept beaming back and forth. And then what was Kurt? What was Spock doing in the library? He never really said. I mean, wouldn't you think that Spock would have, like, tried to communicate with Kirk and say... Yeah, like, hey, I'm already back up. Ignore yeah. the other Spocks. <laughs> that are armed? Yeah. It, I mean, did, did Spock... Well, if he knew all about the duplicate Spocks, he should have known they were dangerous. And right. really, really should be telling Kirk. And warn them, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh well. But I did kind of like the whole uh, explanation as to why the riots were going on. Mm. That, uh, you know, people thought that their neighbors were turning against them, but it right. was really a duplicate of their neighbors turning against them. So right. I kind of thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at mass hysteria, you know, right. where you would be like, uh, couldn't trust your, your own family and friends because uh, they're suddenly acting weird. So right. I kind of like that aspect, but that's all just me coming up with uh, – things on the side none of that's really mentioned aside from 
maybe one sentence at the end trying to explain it. Right. And the idea that all the duplicates are all, you know, violent attacking because that because was their Because they were defending themselves at the time of duplication. Against, so they exactly, had all that. Adrenaline. Against the cloud creature. Yeah, right. So instead of trying to understand this incredibly odd thing that was enveloping you, I mean, mm-hmm. quite frankly, trying to defend yourself makes sense to me. Right. But... Yeah, and even Spock fell prone to it. So yeah, yeah. if Spock can fall, we can all fall. Exactly. <laughs> all right, I don't have anything else. Okay, cool. So we're jumping a, a couple of years to yeah, you ain't seven, seventy-eight, seventy-eight. Right. So, so maybe the quality. Well, I think the art quality is a little better. Colors it's different. Yeah, oh, good point. The, the the coloring is very bright and vivid. Well, and they're wearing the right shirts, whereas these, yeah. uh, all the ones up until now, wrong color. Yeah. All right, I'll let you get to it, though, sir. Okay, cool. Okay, as Donovan said, this is the comic annual 1978, and the story is titled, The Gods Have Come, with an exclamation mark at the end. The Enterprise and her crew are exploring another galaxy identified as Galaxy 517. Wow, those nacelles are amazing. They are drawn to a planet by radio transmissions that sound like supercharged sighing. Like sighing, but really supercharged. Um, They find the source of the original signal at a dangerously active volcano. Kirk and Spock beam down to check it out and are discomforted by barely breathable air that is full of sulfur fumes. The two continue searching for the source and come upon upon a tribe of human-looking aliens led by a lady named Maraku. Maraku does not speak, but rather uses telepathy to speak to them both, but only Spock can pick up her thoughts. Maraku tells of her people, and their generations-long war with the neighboring Taracas people that live on the other side of the volcano. Scotty sends down word that the volcano will blow any time now, and Captain and Mr. Spock need to return to the ship as soon as possible. Kirk and Spock decide to tell Maraku to evacuate her people away from the volcano immediately, while they travel to... Uh, the other side of the mountain on Tauntauns to tell the Taracas people the same thing. On the way, Kirk and Spock are attacked, tied up, and presented before the Taracas leader, who thinks he is such a kick-butt warrior that he can control the volcano. Spock tells him he's a whack job and will kill all of his people if they do not evacuate immediately. Instead, the leader orders his people to take Kirk and Spock up to the top where they can be thrown into the volcano as sacrifices. Finally, at the top, as the volcano is belching more fire and smoke than ever, Spock convinces the leader to untie them so they can pray to their gods before dying. Once free, Kirk is able to get his communicator out and call for an immediate beam-out. Just in time, as the volcano finally blows and takes out the great leader and likely all of his people. 
Back on the ship, Kirk and Spock are not happy about losing the Tarakas people, but it's their own ignorance and general poo-poo-headness to blame. At least the relatively peaceful Paraka people can live in peace, assuming that they got away in time. They leave orbit, and Spock wonders how primitive people could project their thoughts into deep space. Kirk tells Spock not to worry about it and be more like humans that just accept poor writing plot holes and move on. The end. Good point. Good point. Just keep going. Just just accept it and keep going. Like humans do. Yeah. They don't need to explain everything. Well, actually, you do, Donovan. But <laughs> I do want to know where the creatures came from and why the transporters suddenly don't work. <laughs> that they they decide to ride and say it'll take a day or two to get around the mountain. Yeah, exactly. Like, Just beam over. It takes you like twenty seconds. Exactly. Yeah, it made no sense. So, yeah. and, and how can you continue to breathe? You don't have face masks or anything. But I mean, you, first thing you say when you beam down is, "Hey, this is hard to breathe," and then you just continue on with your adventure. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it made no sense. No. And then I wish they, they could have said, you know, maybe the smoke's what's causing them to not be able to uh, beam out or something, but... No, there's no explanation. Escape. There's no explanation. And, and and they purposely say how long it's going to take them to get to the other side of the mountain or the volcano. Yeah, a day or something. And then <sighs> like, I hope it's enough time. <laughs> when Scotty <laughs> just said, it's going to blow any time. It just right. doesn't make sense. And then he's even saying, it'll take us a day to get there, a couple of days. And then he's like, oh, we have enough time. But, Scotty, stay on the transporter in case we need to be beamed out. And I'm like, get beamed out now, stupid. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I like seeing Kirk riding a giant goat thing as much as the next guy. It's a tauntaun. Come on. It doesn't make sense. Well, tauntauns only have two legs. This it thing looks has like a four. It struck me as a tauntaun. In that it was big and had horns? Sure. Then you ride it. <laughs> yes. The gods have come. Anyways. Um, so, yeah. That was uh, that was my biggest problem with this, this issue. Mm. I like the artwork. It looked pretty good. Kind of that uh, watercolory um, look that yeah. I like. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. Some, some things are kind of washed out. There's a particular panel where Spock is in profile talking to the great leader and uh, you know, the whole front of his face looks kind of washed out. Right. But, I mean, it's colorful and it's fine. It's good. And I like that future tech of the, uh, you know, the computer that prints out, you know, dot matrix <laughs> dot. <laughs> in a wavy line and stuff like that. That's very... High tech. Yeah, the great leader reminded me a little bit of uh, Planet of the Apes. Uh, I was getting a little bit of Planet of the Apes vibe too, yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Just in uh, what they were wearing and stuff. Yeah, a little. Well, kind of like what they were They were wearing some Shogun stuff, you know? But uh, definitely the face. I mean, they, they look like the gorillas, kind of. Yeah, uh, I can see that. What General, whatever his name is. 
I was going to say I was going to say Akbar, but no. Spock. Oh, oh yes, yes, yes. The actor. Oh, in the TV show, yeah. Well, general, general, uh, general, uh, whatever his name is. Anyway, the gorilla guy, right? Militant, right? Whatever his name was, he looked a little bit like that. Yeah, I can see it. Uh, uh, let me see. But yeah, they're pretty nonchalant about letting that whole civilization die. Yeah, like, they were bad. It's their so, own problem. No for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You follow the wrong megalomaniac. Ah, well. Right. Yeah, but they they don't look much like uh, what ma, the Paraka people. Right. The ones I mean, that yeah. are ethereal and scantily clad. <laughs> yes. So you got your hot leader of the one people. So they must yeah. be good. Even yes. though she looked pretty intense. I mean, some of the, the drawings of her face and stuff, she looked pretty intense. Yeah, her people are being threatened, so. Yeah. And then the uh, the other guys look, I mean, they're humanoid, but, I mean, they look like uh, uh, Planet of the Ape guys. Anyway, right. okay. All right, anything else? <sighs> I wish I had it's... more to say, but these yeah. are short. Yeah, they're really short. Yeah. All right, here we go. Here's the last of the uh, UK strips that we have to cover. It's a little, little sad. <laughs> sniff, uh, sniff. Until you see the artwork, and it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is the last one? Oh, okay, I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. All right, so this is called A Rock in a Hard Place. And it came out in the uh, 1979 TV comic annual. Uh, it's does not have an author, but the uh, art is by John Canning, and five pages long, and it's been reprinted in the UK Strips uh, Volume 3. Alright, so it starts with Kirk and Chekhov beaming down to meet with a planetary governor. And as they're down there on the planet, the Enterprise and the planet itself is attacked by a species called the Vorinians. The Enterprise is hit with a single missile that clogs up all the systems. And they say it's literally all the systems. Communications, engines, everything. Um, and so uh, it's also mentioned that this clogging cannot be undone without a very special anti-Vironian missile that the people on the planet just happen to have. But they don't know to shoot it. Uh, so basically the ship's dead in space and heading towards a nearby asteroid belt where it will be smashed to bits. Meanwhile on the planet, the Governor, Chekhov, and Kirk are all kidnapped, thrown aboard a Varinian ship, and they head off towards their homeworld. The trio have to help the Enterprise, but they're unable to do so because they're locked in a cage. So to escape, Kirk... Employs a very unique uh, method. You know, I thought maybe he would pretend to be sick or something and get the guard to come close. But no, this is different. This time, he whistles. And he whistles a long, annoying tune that's uh, so annoying that the guard eventually has to come in to try to make him stop whistling. And when he gets too close, that's when Chekhov jumps him and takes away his keys and gun. So now that they're loose on the ship... With the gun, the uh, trio make short work of all the 
inhabitants of the ship, stunning everybody. And eventually they get to the bridge and they're able to contact the governor's planet, which uh, I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, is named Andreas. So once they get close enough to Andreas, they try to make contact. Uh, the Andronians think that this is another attack, but the governor is eventually able to get a hold of them, you know, tell them who they are. And then he also tells them to fire the very important anti-Veronian missile at the Enterprise before it's too late. And then they're able to do so, and the ship is saved. The end. Yay, ship is saved. Oh, did, you, you, well, didn't, you didn't try to reproduce the lighthearted closing joke, joke that wasn't funny at all? Oh, the curling your hair thing? <sighs> yeah, I didn't really get it. <laughs> yeah, neither did I. Yeah, so, yeah, so Kirk says, this was so... Intense, it would have even curled your hair, Spock. Uh. Yeah. And then Spock's like making a very weird face. (laughs) (laughs) Well, his facial features, especially his mouth, his face, his mouth is really small. Right. And he's like, oh, Jim, if you could only hear yourself and how lame your jokes are. (laughs) So I guess. Kirk does. I mean, Spock does have pretty straight hair. Is that is that what the joke's about? I don't know. Anyways, anyways. So yeah. So they were hit by a clogging missile, mm-hmm. and, and they, they needed, needed another unclogging missile. Missile. Yes. Yeah. So stupid. So does the second one have like dawn in it or something? It's Just to <laughs> take that grease out of your way. Yeah, clogging agent out of your way. So. I don't know. Drano, it's the Drano button. It's, a Drano it's the Drano button. missile. Yeah, no, it's it's so stupid that you would get hit by one missile and then it would take down all the systems in your ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and they kept saying clog. That was that was the thing. Use a different word or something because clogging just makes me think of plumbing, and <laughs> I don't or, think there's a lot of like open open pipes ports or something. Yeah, yeah and, and it makes it sound like the whole thing is a you know it's all mechanical. Right. It's like it's got gears inside there that can be clogged, clogged up. And yeah, there's probably some gears inside the Enterprise, but come on, it's it's mostly a non-mechanical ship. I mean, energies and warp drives and you know, magnets. So, unless you're the Kelvin and then you're going to have those giant pistons going everywhere and giant yeah. <laughs> of water that go nowhere. Exactly. I didn't really care for that. That's I mean, it looked get cool, but, uh, but it was kind of silly. Well, there are multiple things they, they chose to go to real-world places uh, with big, heavy piping and equipment and things. Right. And, you know, some of that was okay. I uh, Like 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 where they had that, that... Was it... Kirk was trying to get over the numb tongue or something? And they were in that room that was supposed to be engineering, and they had those huge stainless steel containers and things. Right, right. I mean, th- that kind of looked okay. And then in the second one, they showed something where they were like, in, they were actually in some kind of a uh, nuclear power plant or something. Right. So some of that was okay, we're but definitely those tubes, those water tubes, were just nuts. Right. Didn't like I it. I mean, you would think that water has to get through the ship somehow, but. Well, coolant. You got to have coolant. Oh, oh, well, I see what you're saying. Just water in general. You got to people got to drink their 
okay. you know, their yeah. tea somewhere. Well, that yes. water doesn't just come out of nothing. Okay. But I think they were trying to insinuate that was more like coolant or something. Right. Yeah, I guess I, I think know. they even show it like going through a chopper or something, and that's why there was the urgency. Yeah. You know, not not that he's going to drown, but now he's going to get chopped up, too. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. pretty silly. Whatever. So the aliens look universally bad in this. Well, with their giant butt heads. Well, okay, so, so the, quote, good guys that are green uh, have big butt heads, and they're green, and their mouths are like, they all look like they're permanently in some Reverend Jim thing uh, off a taxi. And, yeah. uh, and then the other guys look like they're refugees from uh, where the wild things are. <laughs> yeah, those helmets are crazy. They just have horns coming out of every Ex- random direction. <laughs> exactly. And they, they're, they're big and furry like, like big bears or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's bad. <laughs> they kind of remind me of the way Chewbacca was depicted in the uh, early Marvel comics because oh. they, they didn't quite get him right either. Right. And he kind of looked like that where it was just like this blanket fur, but then these weird eye, nose, and mouth mm-hmm. opening. And you're just like, that's not what Chewbacca looks like. Get it right. Get it right. So I get that universal translators work by I say something and then in your ear you hear me say something else, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know it worked for writing, that I could write out a word in English and <laughs> you, the alien, can look at that English and read it into your own language. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's really cool. That's amazing. I liked how in Doctor Who they at least explained it uh, in that... What, psycho paper? Yeah. Well, no, not psycho paper, but the TARDIS was basically translating everything you see into what you could read. So, oh. you know, that you would look at a sign in some other language, but you would read it in English. Oh, you know, okay. And their explanation was because the TARDIS is doing that, you know, behind the scenes. That well, was their... Just all you had to say is, well, you know, because, you know, the TARDIS. <laughs> exactly. What to say? Exactly. Yeah, so then, like, just like in Star Trek, when they don't have the universal communicators, and yet somehow they're still being translated. Yeah. You know, there's quite a few Doctor Who episodes where the TARDIS is not on the planet anymore, yet right. everybody can still talk to each other. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Hmm, strange. Something doesn't quite work. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've mentioned it before, but in Voyager, when... um they did the season finale where they got stranded on the planet and mm-hmm. the Kazon took the uh, Voyager away and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my goodness, the next season's going to be great because they can't talk to Neelix anymore. And, you know, who knows who else they're not going to be able to communicate with anymore <laughs> because they, none, of the, none of them have translators anymore because they all took the comm badges. And then the next season starts and eh, they're all just speaking English. Oh, we're yeah. not even going to worry about that. Oh, t- Come on. Well, Taw's never worried about it. I mean, they gave lip service to the Universal Translator in that uh, Zephram Cochran episode. But that was like uh, like a big, huge microphone. You know? Right, right, right. You know, they, okay, so at least they acknowledged the idea of a Universal Translator, but that was a totally separate piece of kit. I mean, that wasn't built into your small little dinky communicator. Anyway. Except for the episodes where it was kit. <laughs> so would you? It's like they made up the whole thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's like it's that real. 
So what do you think about his uh, way of getting the the guard close? Oh, the whistling. Because <laughs> at first I really thought they were going to go for, oh, my friend's got a stomachache. Come here close. But no, they're just like, he's going to whistle. And then the picture of him whistling is just so stupid. <laughs> it's just like. I don't know how you would draw somebody whistling and make it look cool, but... Uh, <laughs> that's not it. That's not it. <laughs> <laughs> so is that is that where Jim Carrey got that routine in Dumb and Dumber? The most annoying sound? <laughs> the most annoying sound in the world. <laughs> Pretty sure that's not where he got it from, but uh, they're definitely channeling the same vibe. There you go. There you go. But yeah, and they even make a note that it's... Uh, a tuneless monotone <laughs> that soon has the desired effect. And he comes in there, shut up. <laughs> You're annoying me. Yeah. <laughs> I can hear you through this helmet, you know. And then he's like sticking his arms through the cage. It's like, that's just, that's just bad guarding 101. <laughs> keep, your, keep your limbs out of the cage. Exactly. Yeah. So he sticks his arm through the, through the bars, pointing at Kirk. Stop it. And then check off Bad like, move. gotcha. Bad move. And, and the, guy the, didn't, is, the guy didn't look anything like Walter Koning, but at least they both had gold shirts. Right, right. Yeah, this guy looks nothing like him. No. Well, none of them look like any of them. Well, Spock looks a little bit like Spock. And, and even the Sulu, the one where they so, show Sulu with the whole right side of his face made red. Um, it looks a bit like George Takei. Oh, yeah. But, of course, Spock has a gold uniform, but only in that panel. Or at least in that panel. I don't know. Right. Did did he have a a gold one elsewhere? Okay. No. He has blue later. There you go. Good. Yep. Okay, I see it. There he is. And then her is in red. Okay, good. Yay. But then that last panel, it looks, you know, where it shows, uh, I guess that's Sulu. I don't know. Somebody looks like they're in a blue shirt. Yeah. But supposed to be, what, Sulu, Kirk, Spock, Ahura, and McCoy, maybe? I don't know. But don't none know. of them look right, and they all look like it's... characters or caricatures, you know, something that you would get at the carnival. Exactly. Somebody's uh, drawing a caricature of you. Right. And that's how, that's how they're going to end the UK strips. <sighs> Come on. Come on, guys. Yeah, that's how they're going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, because this came out in 79. This is well after the, you know, the TV 21 weekly issues. We're done. Stuff. Yeah. There you go. So they were, the... it was really just like a one-off kind of, here you go. Right, right. We got to fill in five pages somehow. Okay. And... Well, that's great. Okay, so now we're at the end of the UK strips. Well, that's, yeah. that's fine. That's I'm okay with that. Right, right. Yeah, it was a it it had its moments. Not many, but yes, it had its <laughs> moments. I enjoyed the art style. I mean, a lot of times it was so different that you're just like, I kind of kind of respect what they're doing. It doesn't look like Star Trek, but it looks, you know, like Thunderbirds or whatever. <laughs> it had its moments. <laughs> I was about to say I, that. I thought, I thought it was pretty good at times. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah, you know, they, they they use an art style that the audience is familiar with in the UK, so that's fine. And, and of the course, stories were aimed at little littler kids, which I respect that too, right? They're not they're not made for us 
50 year olds they're made for a little kid in the 60s so yeah i give them some some leeway with that one too right so but yeah i'm kind of sad to see them all gone that we finished them all right however getting back to perhaps maybe slightly more traditional fair star trek fair Yes. What are we doing next week? In episode 352. What are we doing uh, in 352? Yeah, 352. We're going to do... Uh, we're almost finished with Star Trek Year 5, so we're going to do, do two issues, 23 and 24. Mm-hmm. And then that'll leave 25 and the wrap-up that we can do by itself and maybe 253. Okay. So the penultimate... 353, I mean. Okay. The penultimate issues for year five next week, and then the final one the following week. And that following, you said that that last one is pretty long? Yeah, it's kind of like annual-sized. Okay. I'm pretty sure. I haven't read it yet, but I, I think I saw that it was long. Cool. Okay. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. <laughs>